finally happened this week, I got sick. Uh, everybody else had been talking about it, and it sounded like a lot of fun. And I thought, I've, I've just got to try this out. And uh, it started out Monday evening, Monday night, with a little tickle in the back of my throat that just made me cough, kind of like some of you are doing right now. Uh, and I thought, well, that's nothing. And Tuesday, I still had that little tickle. I thought, well, that's, that's nothing. Tuesday afternoon, suddenly it just all hit. And my head was congested, and I was coughing, and I was aching, and I felt dizzy and miserable. And I finally decided I, I'm just going to have to go home and sleep this all off. And so for the next 16 hours or so, I slept, and I got up, and I coughed, and I hacked, and I shivered, and, and, I, and I was hot, and I had to have four covers on, and then no covers on, and it just, it wasn't as much fun as you guys had made it out to be. I didn't really enjoy it. I don't get sick very often. In fact, I think it's been a, maybe two years since the last time I had gotten sick, but whenever I get sick, I always have these notions about how I'm going to use my time. Oh, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make it worthwhile. You know, I'm going to use my time when I'm sick, and I have this idea that I'm going to, I'm going to lay in bed surrounded by pillows. I don't have that many pillows. I don't know where I get the idea I'm going to suddenly have all these pillows, but I'm going to lay in bed surrounded by pillows. I'm going to sit there with my iPad, and I'm going to read. I'm going to do all my Bible reading, you know, and, and I'm going to get caught up on some work. I'm going to sit there and write some things down, and I'm going to use this downtime to, to get a few things done. And the fact is, all I wanted to do was sleep and cough and moan, and, and I, I tried to read a couple things, and my eyes wouldn't cooperate, and and I just couldn't do it, couldn't think straight. My head was aching, my throat was sore. Every time I coughed, my whole head just vibrated and pounded. You know that feeling? There wasn't much else I could do than sleep, and I didn't even do that very well. I always have these great ideas, though, about how I'm going to use my time when I'm sick. But if my head does not cooperate, then it's just not going to happen. In this passage in Colossians we're looking at today, Paul presents Jesus as the head of the church. Jesus is the head, and the church is the body. Now, what this past week taught me is that I'm not much good without my head. If I don't have my head, I'm not going to be getting much done. And that's exactly what Paul wants us to see here. Jesus is our head. But he doesn't begin there. Paul doesn't begin with the day you and I became Christians. Paul doesn't begin with the day you and I decided we're going to start going to church. He doesn't begin with the day that we put our membership in and decided to be members of a church. Instead, he begins with creation itself. Why? Because it's not about you and me. It's never about you and me. It's much bigger than you and me, but if we're not careful, we think it's about us. Let's look at what Paul says here in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He says of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself 
all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Now, verse 18 tells us exactly what we need to understand about Jesus. Verse 18 says that in everything, He might be preeminent. Now, that's probably not a word that you use every day. And everything, He might be preeminent. Some of your Bibles say that in everything, He might have the supremacy. The point is that in everything, Jesus ought to be number one, right? Jesus ought to be first in everything. He deserves first place in the universe. He deserves first place in all of creation. And He deserves first place in the church. He deserves first place in our lives. The problem is, you and I, we get a little selfish. And if you get a bunch of us together, even if you call that bunch of us a church, we can still be pretty selfish. And so, are we willing to step aside and let Jesus have the place that He deserves, that place of preeminence? Are we willing to let Him be first? And what Paul wants us to see here is that Jesus doesn't just deserve that place of preeminence, it is who He is. It isn't just that He deserves that place of preeminence in his church he is preeminent by his nature by nature of who he is and so Paul begins in verse 15 with two powerful statements about who Jesus is about his very nature somewhere you probably have a picture of Jesus maybe there's a picture of Jesus in your house maybe that you look at pictures of Jesus like we have in the in the stained glass windows. Maybe it's not a picture that you have physically. Maybe it's a picture you have inside. Maybe you have a picture in your mind of what Jesus is like, what He does, what He doesn't do. In this one verse, verse 15, with these two statements, Paul blows all of our notions about Jesus out of the water. Look at verse 15 again. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. If I held a mirror up to your face, what would you see? Now, I could hold a mirror up to your face and I could say, take, take a look at this. Take a really close look at this. And, and you might, ooh, wow, I've never, I've never seen myself do that before. You might not like what you see, right? You might look at that and say, well, it's a little puffier than I would like it to be. Uh... There, I don't like those wrinkles. There's that scar I got in kindergarten. I don't care for that. Um, there's a lot more gray hair than I really would care for. Um, I don't really like what I see. You might think that, but, but you can't look at your image in a mirror and say, well, that's close. You can't look at your, mirror, at your image in a mirror and say, that's a decent likeness. I, I think I see what the artist was trying to do. Uh, they, they tried to capture my likeness, and it's, it's fairly close. No, when you look in a mirror, you see your image. Whether you like it or not, that is what you look like. That is your image. What does Paul say about Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. When we look at Jesus, we get an image of what God is like. Not similar not close enough, we get an exact representation of God and an exact representation of His character. Somewhere we got this idea 
And preachers didn't help because they, they say this kind of stuff every now and then. But, but somewhere we got this idea that God, the Father, is this big, mean old man. And he sits up in heaven on a throne. And every now and then he throws lightning bolts at you or he messes with you. And, and he, he makes all the rules, right? He sits up there and he makes all the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, he's going to hit you with something. He, he's just... He's angry. He's mad at you. And then there's his son, Jesus. And Jesus is cool. Jesus is fun. Jesus brings wine to parties. you got to love that, you know. And, and he tells the best stories. Jesus is awesome. God is this mean old guy. We, we got that idea somewhere. But what does this passage tell us about Jesus? It says, he is the image of the invisible God. In other words, everything that you need to know about God, you see in Jesus. And then there's another phrase that he uses, and, and it's a little bit more of a culturally specific phrase. We might not quite get it here. He calls him the firstborn of all creation. There was a custom in the ancient world, and the custom was that the firstborn son was not just the father's heir, the firstborn son was the father's representative. What the firstborn son did was exactly the same things that the father would do. What the father stood for, the firstborn son stood for. The way the father spent the estate money was the way the son would spend the estate money. The word of the firstborn carried the same weight as that of the father. Now, let me give you a little aside here. This might help you understand the problem of the firstborn son in the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember how upset the firstborn son was because the father had forgiven his younger brother? The, pro the firstborn son was the father's representative, meaning that if the father forgave the younger brother, then the firstborn son also had to forgive the younger brother. That's a whole other sermon right there. And you hold on to that because we'll come back to that one of these days. I'm just sure we're going to use that. And we're going to talk about how if, if the Father has forgiven, then you and I don't really have a say in this. We have to forgive other people also. That's a different sermon. Don't, don't pay any attention to that right now. But everything, what, what, Jesus, what Paul is telling us about Jesus here is, not only is he the image of the invisible God, everything that you need to know about God you see in Jesus. Everything that Jesus does is the same thing that God, the Father, does. He is the firstborn. What you see Him do, He does with the authority of the Father. In fact, that's, that's where Paul takes us next when he talks about Jesus. He doesn't just deserve that place of preeminence by His nature, but also by His actions, by what He does. He is the image of of the invisible God. Everything that we need to know about God can be seen in Jesus. And then Paul continues to describe Jesus not by his nature, but by his actions. Look at verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, I don't know if you noticed or not, but in those two verses, there, were, there are two key words that are repeated over and over again. Did you notice them? They are the words, all things. They are repeated 
over and over again. And they tell us about Jesus. All things were created by Him. All things were created through Him. All things were created for Him. Therefore, He is before all things, and all things hold together through Him. Every now and then, I, I stumble across a, a scientific article, and I, I decide I'm going to read it. I don't understand it, but I read it. I like to read scientific stuff. It, you know, maybe I'll get a little bit of this. Maybe I'll understand some things. And, and one of the things that I read every now and then is that scientists are trying to figure out what holds the universe together. What, what keeps the universe from falling? I mean, if, if this all started with a big, you know, boom, big bang, then what keeps it from just flying apart? What, what keeps it from just continuing to, to come apart? And so they come up with all these different ideas. And you've probably heard a lot of this stuff. You've heard about dark matter, right? You hear about dark matter? Scientists say, well, it's dark matter. That's what holds it all together. We can't see it. We can't find it. But we know it's there. This week, we think it's probably dark matter. And then they came up with it. They found the Higgs boson particle. Remember that a couple years ago? We found the God particle. This is it. This does it. And then some people said, well, maybe it doesn't. And there are some scientists that are saying that there are these particles called gravitons. Have you heard of gravitons? They, they completely make this stuff up. But they say that there's these gravitons. They, they generate gravity, and that's what holds everything together. Well, where are they? Well, we don't know yet, but we're, we're pretty sure they're there. They're trying to figure out what holds the universe together. And I come to this verse, verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Now, I'm no scientist, but that's good enough for me. I, I was, it's Jesus. The answer is Jesus. That may not fly when it comes to scientists. I mean, if you're a physicist, that may, be, uh, that may not fly with a, with a physicist. But I do know this. Jesus is what holds your universe together. Jesus is what holds my universe together. And, and when your life is, is flying apart, when, when everything seems like it's unraveling, Jesus brings the peace that you need. And there are times when you wonder how you are going to hold it all together. And sometimes you wonder that physically. Sometimes you wonder that mentally. How am I going to keep it all together? And in those moments, I want you to think about verse 17. He is before all things. Even those things that you can't control. Even those things that you can't hold together, especially those things. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. When you don't have the strength to hold it together, what you need to realize is, not only has He promised to hold all things together, He created it so that He could hold it all together. And so after, after showing us who Jesus is by nature, and after showing us who Jesus is by his actions, Paul brings us to a place where it can truly hit you and me, as selfish as we can be and as self-centered as we can be, and we see that Jesus is preeminent. We see his place, his first place, by his relationship with us, that he is the head of the church. You think about where Paul has led, up to, led us to this point. You think about what he's shown us. To understand who God is, 
To understand who God is, who is, what His nature is, what His love is like, what His being is like. To do that is impossible without Jesus. Okay? It is impossible to understand what God is like without Jesus. And then Paul tells us that without Him, without Jesus, everything that exists would fly apart, would cease to be. So that place of preeminence, that place of supremacy, is exactly where He fits by His nature and by His actions. So what should we do with Him as a church? Look at verse 18. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. So I got sick on Tuesday, which is a shame because I had plans. (laughs) I had plans for Tuesday I had plans for Wednesday. I got sick on Tuesday, and Wednesday I slept. I think I slept, I think I slept for about 14 hours altogether on, on Wednesday. I tried to come to work. I showed up for about an hour or so, and nothing was getting done, and my brain wasn't working, so I, I went back home and I slept some more. I, I had all kinds of plans, but, but I just ended up sleeping. But by Wednesday evening, I felt great. I don't know. I know some people it takes a while to get over this, and apparently I didn't get a, as big a dose as others. But Wednesday night, I felt perfect. Everything was going great. We had Wednesday night group. We, uh, we did the, the study of uh, gods at war, and it went very well. I was very clear-minded. Everything was fine. Everything was going well. And Wednesday night, I went home, and I looked at my plans for the next day, and I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to get up early tomorrow on Thursday, and I'm going to get all my work done, and everything's going to get caught up, and it's all going to be fine. And I went to bed, and I shut the light off, and I closed my eyes, and I suddenly realized I had slept for 14 hours that day. And my body told my brain, go to sleep. Go to sleep. I'm going to lay here, and I'm not going to move, and you're going to go to sleep. Go to sleep, brain, go to sleep. And the brain's like, no, I think we need to talk about the sermon. No, we're not going to talk about the sermon. I think we need to talk about Sunday school. No, we're not going to talk about Sunday school. We're going to go to sleep. I think you need to talk about some of these people. No, we're not going to talk about those people. We're going to go to sleep right now. And my body tried to convince my brain it was time to go to sleep. And my brain laid there and laughed at my body. And my head decided we're going to do other things. And I didn't sleep maybe a couple of hours that night. And what I learned was that my body is not in charge of my head. My body cannot tell my head to turn it off. My body cannot tell my head when it's time to go to sleep. My head is in charge of my body. That's how it works. That's what Paul's telling us here about the church. That's what he tells us in in this passage, that he is the head of the body, the church. You know, over in Ephesians, he prays for the Ephesian Christians, and he says something very similar in his prayer. He says, I I pray, this is a very long run-on sentence, but that's Paul's fault, not my fault, okay? Paul Paul has this very long run-on sentence of a prayer. He starts in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, he says, I pray that you, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you. And what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand, at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rules and authority, all power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things... Hey, look, there it is again. He put all things under His feet and gave Him, that is Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. You notice what Paul says about the body here in verse 23? The church, which is His body, which, the, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. The fullness of Him, Jesus, who fills all in all. First of all, if He fills all in all, that leaves very little room for you and me. That leaves very little room for, for you and me and, and my wants and the things that, that I like and the way that I think a church ought to be. And He reminds us again that the body is not in charge of the head. The head is in charge of the body. Maybe it's always been like this, but there's, there's this troubling mentality. I think, it, I, I think I can say in the church in America. It's probably other places too. But there's this troubling mentality today about the church in America. And the mentality is that, that it's all about me. It's about what, what I like. And it's about my needs. And it's about my kind of music. And my kind of sermons. I don't want to hear sermons like that. I, I want to hear these kind of sermons and it's about my kind of people i don't want to go to church with people like that i i want to go to church with with people like this it's about my wants and if i don't find my wants here then then i'll go down the road and i'll find someplace else where they'll meet my wants and meet my needs and, and let me ask you this does does anything in that attitude sound like jesus is the head does anything in that attitude say that Jesus is the one who's in charge? And I, I'm not going to pretend that there are easy answers to this because there aren't. There are no quick fixes. But rather, I think it's something that we need to be aware of as, as individuals and as a church. We don't answer to our culture. Our culture can't come in here and say, this is what we think a church ought to be. We wouldn't answer to that and say, well, this is what a church ought to do and, and this is what a church shouldn't do. But we also don't answer to each other. We don't answer to our own likes and dislikes. We answer to Jesus. We answer to the head. And there is no one else who deserves that place. Everything about Jesus deserves first place in our lives and in His church. There's no question about that when it comes to His nature because He is the image of the invisible God. There is no question about that when it comes to His power because all things have been created by Him and through Him and for Him and in Him all things hold together. The only place we have to ask it is here with you and me in our hearts and in our church. Does Christ have the place of preeminence? Does He have the supremacy in you? Does He have 
first place in your life? Does he have first place in what we do here together? Paul finishes up his thoughts on Jesus' position as head of the church in verses 19 and 20. He says, For in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by His blood, by the blood of His cross. Verse 19 can be a little confusing. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And and a lot of people don't know how to take that. What what does that mean? All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Him. It's It's a very odd phrase. What could it mean? I think it means this. There was no better way for God to express who He is than to give Himself completely to you through His Son. There was no better way for God to show you who He is than to give Himself completely to you through His Son, through His birth, through His life, and even through His death. And there was no other way to make peace with us than through the cross than to give Himself to us. The thing about these verses is that they are facts. We're not going to have a vote on these verses. We're not going to vote on whether or not we accept Jesus as the head of the church. We're not going to vote on whether or not they're true. All we get to decide on is if we are going to acknowledge Him in our lives. If we're going to acknowledge Him in the church, are we going to allow Him to lead us like only He can? Let's stand together and pray. Father, it is an amazing and humbling idea when we realize that when faced with our need for salvation, sending Your Son didn't seem like too much to ask. And the cross wasn't too much for You to give. Instead, all Your fullness was pleased to dwell in Him. Lord, we would never know that kind of love apart from You. That kind of love is, is now known as our head. And our prayer is that as the body of Christ, we will love others with that same intensity and that same purpose. That we as individuals will lay aside our differences and our own desires and know the, ple- the pleasure of your presence fully dwelling in us. We pray that through our love and compassion that those around us might truly know what it means to be loved by you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.